Hey, I'm Kevin Kaufman. I'm joined with Fred Weaver. We are your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Podcast. Where five days a week you can get great real estate content. On Mondays, Kevin interviews a top rock star in the real estate space. Every Tuesday, we bring you industry headlines where we look back on the last seven days of news in real estate. Wednesdays and Fridays is iMinute where we talk about iBuyers in the real estate space. And Thursday, we bring you a weekly business tip. So listen to us anywhere podcasts can be listened to. You can watch most of these podcasts video form on YouTube and tune in five days a week. And make sure you connect with us on Facebook as well as visit kevinandfred.com and you can check out our referral guarantee, right Kevin? kevinandfred.com forward slash guarantee. We'd love to receive your real estate referrals here in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you soon. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hey guys, it's Kevin and today's podcast is a fun one. I am joined by a very smart gentleman. His name is John Berkowitz. John is the co-founder and CEO of Ojo Labs, which is an Austin-based company that is leading the way in AI technology, AI conversational technology to be more specific. So they own a couple patents. Ojo essentially empowers people to make better decisions through the fusion of machine and human intelligence. They automate lead conversations for real estate agents and consumers alike. It's a really cool technology. John is awesome himself. Like he's got such a cool background, track record of building and scaling businesses. Um, totally mission-driven type of guy. He is just the absolute, one of the coolest dudes I've met. Ojo is a company that is going to be a force to, to be reckoned with. I know they've already been recognized as um, being one of the best places to work in all of Austin, where uh, they are headquartered, uh, having a top, you know, like company culture, etc. John also, prior to Ojo, co-founded a company you may have heard of called Yodel. Uh, and that company was built into an over $200 million in annual revenue leader in kind of the online marketing space. Um, with I think at one point they had over 50,000 customers and something like 1,400 employees. It was pretty big. In uh, 2016, he sold Yodel to web.com for, get this, $342 million all in cash. Uh, John is a force to be reckoned with, recently was named to the Swanepoel's S&P 200 most powerful technology executives in the real estate space. He is actively involved in nonprofits, serves as board members for many different companies and um, nonprofits as well, and uses his entrepreneurial and business background and resources to fight for the welfare of children in the communities he operates in. So he's not only a really good dude, he's a really smart dude. And I think you're going to enjoy today's episode. All right. Next level podcast listeners. We're back. And today uh, I'm joined uh, by John Berkowitz, uh, founder of Ojo Labs. John, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm glad we could, uh, we could do this. I'm glad we could uh, sync up our schedules and uh, get you on. I've been wanting to put you in the hot seat for a little while and kind of pick your brain on all things tech and real estate and some of the cool stuff you guys are doing over there at Ojo. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to be on and chatting with you. 
Well, awesome. So John, for the, for the two people that don't know about your background in real estate, tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about your kind of journey as an entrepreneur prior to, uh, real estate in the real estate space with Ojo labs. I think, um, most of us know you through, through Yodel, uh, and what you've done there. So I'd love to talk a little, little bit about that and kind of even how you got started into Yodel and, and being an oh. entrepreneur. Yeah, I think my, my journey, my journey is, is, um, and like in my head, it's super complicated and unique and takes this like really unique, diverse path. But then when I like recite it back, I realized that like I never really went anywhere, stayed pretty focused on one thing. Um, but that's all right. Uh, the, 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 journey, the journey started uh, uh, growing up as the son of a small business owner, um, commercial construction, uh, the ups and downs of that business as I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Um, was kind of at the center of my family life. It was my first job. Um, I was really bad at a lot of parts of commercial construction, except for breaking things and understanding uh, the strategy behind building the business, Uh, like good measuring windows, uh, good design, not my thing at all. Um, That family business definitely rooted in me a lot of kind of entrepreneurism, a lot of uh, pains and, uh, and thoughts about building companies, the ups and downs. Um, I then went to college and right at graduating college started a company that leaned into my strengths, um, of kind of business and solving problems. Um, but kept me kind of on my North star, of what I'd grown up with. And that, that was the launching of Yodel, which, which the, the, thesis of launching Yodel was in 2005. It was actually a fairly novel idea for anybody besides the huge Coca-Cola's and Ebay's of the world to be doing digital marketing. If you were a plumber or a dentist, um, you were advertising in the yellow pages. And so as consumers in college, we were shopping for our services on Google at the time. Uh, but our parents uh, were advertising in the yellow pages. There's just a big disconnect. And so we said, we should use our, our abilities um, to, to go create a, an unfair advantage for the little guys, the small businesses that we cared about, essentially to take down the big guys um, because all of the money in algorithms or, or technology was going to the huge brands. We thought there was actually a, um, uh, a real market to serve the small business. And that, that was kind of a crazy idea in 2005. <laughs> Um, and so we, we set out to, to build small businesses, digital presence and grow their business online. Um, it's crazy to think that even though that was only 15 years ago, it, it seems like a lifetime ago that that would have been a radical idea as yeah, far it as it was things. a radical idea. We were a bunch of maniacs saying like, no, trust us. We would walk into a dentist's office, take a white blank sheet of paper, draw a box and say, no, Google, what do you think about being on that? And like, mine's blown. Um, <laughs> so, so I built, I built that, I built that up and we, and we, we did some really special work. Uh, we built that up to 1500 employees, 50,000 customers being served with our technology and services. Um, and then we sold it to web.com for uh, $350 million. And so it was a real journey of kind of <clears throat> leaning in and providing real value to small businesses, understanding because we knew it. Um, the pains of, of what it means to run your own business and be fully accountable uh, 
of, of the success of your financial income um, and, the, and the level of responsibility that it takes to, to serve that, that end user. Um, I heard you talk one time about, um, you know, you obviously you had to raise money to, to grow Yodel. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time you did that, what was that like? Was that natural? Did somebody have to say, Hey, John, like you need, you need to go get some investment here. You need to bring in some outside capital or was that natural to you? And where do you even like how, as a first timer, where did yeah. you even start with that? Yeah. You know, it's super interesting. It's like in 2005, it wasn't a th- like there was no, if LinkedIn was around there, nobody would have on their title entrepreneur, right? <laughs> That's not actually a thing in 2005. Like cool, it's your, no, it was not cool. And it was definitely not a job. Most people were going to like Lehman and, and, and getting paid big dollars. And we were like the idiots not making any money. <laughs> um, and, 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 and honestly, the nice thing about being 21 years old is you don't really know anything. And so you're kind of like, okay, got to build a business. Uh, okay, we're going to need some money. That's a thing. We should go get that. Uh, we're going to need to go get some engineers. We should go get that. And so it all was kind of equal. And, and then you just kind of haphazardly go into it. You start calling people that the, the internet and business professors tell you have the money and you just start pitching. Hey, I'm building a, a product to help small businesses raise money. Turns out that we were so focused on actually solving a real problem and we were not surrounded by um, every other kid coming out of college saying they were going to solve our own problem that we were just young, smart people with an idea and a passion that real institutional investors were like, Oh, that sounds good. Big market guys are executing, have real traction and, and fundraising was unnatural, but not as hard I would say as it is today because there just wasn't that much noise. Um, we also raised money from VCs once we had really kind of had a product and began getting real traction. So there was a proven business to stare at. Um, a little different than today. It seems like uh, obviously this is not the space that I play in. So I'm probably talking out of turn, but it, it appears in some cases like entrepreneurs are going like they want to raise money off of an idea as opposed to like a proven model, something that's already working that needs that infusion. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's right. Um, Obviously, the more it becomes a playbook, the more you stretch that playbook. And so it used to be like, just invest in the proven model. Now it's like, hey, I'm going to go build a proven model and I'm a proven person and, and you can definitely get money for that. Awesome. So, so you mentioned um, exiting that business. What was, yeah. How did you know it was time? I mean, to me, that's got to be a big decision. You build this baby up. It becomes your, yeah. I'm sure in a lot of ways, your identity because of how much oh. time, sweat you put into that. How do yeah. you decide that? now's the time, whether you're the one that sought the offer or the offer was yeah. unsolicited. How do you yeah. do that process? It's a really challenging thing. And so let me, let me answer the question then also address like an important thing that you said um, uh, around like, what is that feeling at exit? Um, the, the decision, we were going to go public about a year before selling and based on the timing of market uh, and some other businesses that had gone public, and not successfully done that, um, had really taken steps back. We made a decision to actually not, we had filed an S1, we were marching down a path. All of us at Yodel were ready for that event and had been really focused on it for a couple of years. Um, 
and and there and there is a there's a danger in that. There is a danger in everybody is marching towards exit versus everybody's marching to solve a hard problem. Uh, because if you don't exit, you kind of lose your identity, and, and that is that is frankly what happened. Um, we we marched towards an S one to go public. We decided not to, and then we ended up in this kind of tweener zone of people having to commit to another several years to go restart that. Um, and so, you know, kind of shortly after there, um, we determined that we, we would be open to sell and, and then we came together with, with web.com. Uh, but it was more of, that wasn't the ideal outcome, I wouldn't say. Uh, it certainly wasn't the founding vision of the company. Um, it worked out great for, for a lot of people, um, but, uh, but it was more of an event of the situation around we'd been at it for a decade. Uh, a lot of people were, were burnt out. A lot of people were just kind of getting started. And so you had different people on different, different kind of journeys. Um, and we had all made a real hard, exciting run in an IPO and then pivoted. And I think we lost a little steam there to be frank enough that like we knew it was the right time. It was the right time to sell the company. Um, Interesting. You know, and, and, and selling is like, you sell a company for 350 million, that's literally like the American dream, yeah. orders of magnitude, um, but, you, but you really said it. I, I, I say oftentimes, and I'm really careful when I see other entrepreneurs, and as an investor and entrepreneur, um, I spend a lot of time with people that have sold companies, and I'm, and I'm really careful not to be like, congratulations, um, like, like let's go drink champagne and, and get, get on the yachts because the reality is um, there is a massive set of emotions that kick in. Um, it is one part PTSD because building and running companies is really hard on the human body. And most people that do it successfully bury that and, and run as long as they need to, whether that is two years, six years, eight years, 20 years. But at, when you, stop that there is the natural ptsd that kicks in of everything that kind of had to go through for that the amount of stress the burden for an extended period of time and then on top of it i didn't have an email that wasn't yodel <laughs> i didn't have you know there was there are simple things that you don't even process uh your contacts all of that's tied in that company your entire identity is you're the yodel founder you're not john berkowitz there's no john berkowitz without yodel nobody knew who you were when you were a college idiot now you've been on stages. There is no independent person, especially for first-time founders. As you kind of get into the, you know, Elon Musk journey, which is the one percent of the one percent of the one percent. Like he's not Tesla, right? Tesla's him, but there was no cool John Berkowitz without Yodel, right? And so there's that. Then there's the emotion of holy crap, my bank account has a lot more money than it's ever had before. And then there's the feeling of wait a minute, at one point I thought my bank account would have a lot more money of that. Then you look around and you have, you're thrilled of the success and you're thrilled of the wealth you've created people. And then you look around and you say, wow, those people didn't make enough money. And all of those emotions pour in in like a 48-hour period. And um, I will say, I would have handled that really poorly had I had not already started Ojo Labs. I basically had known we were selling, committed to the, uh, to the exact team and board, I would see it through transition, communicated to the acquiring company that I was leaving before they bought it, so everything was on the table, super transparent, and I had launched Ojo to go 
build a bigger, more special company than we had done in the past. How I channeled all of those mixed emotions was I just went to work at Ojo and got super excited. Meaning like probably bad news, I didn't process any of that. But, <laughs> but the entrepreneurs that sell it and then, you know, that's a real, that's a real thing. And, and, it's, and it's not all just like, great, cash is here, ha- like, you know, happiness has arrived. There's a, there's a real set of mixed emotions that come along with it with an exit. Yeah, I, I got to imagine. Um, he says it in a different context, but a friend of mine, Joe Polish, says everyone does the addition, nobody does the subtraction. Uh, That's and right. Know that That's he's right. normally referring to the income of like an event or putting yeah. together a business, but the reality is, is all those things you talked about are subtractions that come out too that aren't necessarily just right. account, um, but right. they're like the cost of doing business at that level. Um, right. Okay, so you started Ojo while before before the exit was complete with Yodel. Right. Um, what was the, I, I got to know, like, I want to get into Ojo and kind yeah. of what you guys are doing to automate conversations and, and move those, those, those things along. But where, like, where did that idea come from and why jump into that space versus maybe doing something else similar that you already had a background in? Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we went out to set this, uh, build Ojo, we said, if we're going to go and launch a company, which is going to take a minimum of five years, much more likely 10 to 15. You don't get to do three or four of these in a lifetime, most likely. You do two if you're lucky, three if you're really lucky. And so you've got to choose that next venture religiously. And what and the requirements for us were something much bigger than Yodel. Uh, bigger in impact, bigger in market potential, bigger in something that like we could feel even better about. So just magnitude of the, of the opportunity was a requirement. But we also didn't want to um, just be swinging for the fences and, 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 and have like a high risk of failure, which is the kind of oftentimes decision you make is, do I want to go do a B2B software company that we could do in our sleep and just make money? Boring, not much at magnitude, but creates wealth and risk of failure very low given our backgrounds, or do I wanna go swing for the fence and try to solve a real consumer problem and, uh, and have the, the landing pad be like zero in a decade? <laughs> we really, really kind of over opined on trying not to choose that. And we landed on a, we're gonna go solve a real consumer problem, but we're gonna lean into our strength supporting businesses and enabling them along the journey with us that allowed us to build a profitable business in the early days, to build a, a business that aligned with users, both in the consumer and business side, and came with a risk profile that was not a consumer play, but the market size that was bigger than a B2B play. And um, that is what we've done. And, and that's why I said my journey kind of, um, so we didn't start in real estate. We said, Let's go solve the problem of there are lots of decisions that every day consumers make and they do it very poorly and they regret those decisions. And let's go see where those decisions get made. And we saw that it, people make the wrong decision around what sandwich they should go buy uh, uh, based on availability, ease, and technology can make that better. But then people also go and make bad decisions about healthcare, financial services, and housing based on the lack of technology and service there. And so we said, let's go solve the important decisions and apply technology to help people do that. 
we went through a whole exercise of determining where the biggest pain points were, the biggest market opportunities, and where this idea of a digital advisor that could lean in, answer questions, do deep data lookup, apply a bunch of the advancements in AI to solve a consumer problem would be most beneficial. And we landed, we landed in, uh, in real estate, and then we went all in on real estate um, in 2016 uh, to, to build this technology and, and serve that market with the goal of we're going to help consumers make better decisions in real estate, have better experiences, and we're going to come in and we're going to partner with the best companies and the best service professionals to do that. And we're going to try to combine the best of technology with the best of human and, uh, to create a better consumer experience. Awesome. So um, one of the things I've picked up on is that you guys are using true um, AI, true artificial intelligence with, with Ojo for just it's kind of like layman's terms. I think yeah. the, the word, the words, I should say, uh, yeah. artificial intelligence or, or the letters AI get thrown around a lot. And most yeah. people are not referring to actual AI. Can you give us like the, the elevator pitch on the difference between real AI and what yeah. a lot of folks will say is AI, but actually isn't. Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty awesome because so we um, are actually doing real artificial intelligence. And because of that, I end up getting brought up on a stage under titles like AI, the future of real estate, AI, the future of mortgage. I'm, you know, talking on Monday, AI, the future of lead gen. Um, I think when people attend my session, they're hoping like, all right, we got Elon Musk type guy up here. He's going to like blow our minds. And then I just like throw a bunch of cold water on it and dial it down because like it is really valuable. It is not nearly as sexy or scary as anybody thinks. There's so much misinformation. Um, we are very like what I talk about all the time is we have serious patents technology and advancements in the blue collar part of AI. Um, but, but let me, let me kind of step back. So uh, there's two major buckets of artificial intelligence. The, the field of artificial intelligence is, um, is like, you know, Wikipedia definition, uh, the science of building machines that perform tasks that are essentially otherwise assumed to be best done by the human brain. Uh, human brains really good at two things learning and, and pattern recognition, and then applying those two things to make complex decisions, right? That's what we are good at. It's how conversation happens. It's how we solve problems. That's how we built the wheel, right? Like that's, that is what we do well. And so it's computer, you know, AI is basically getting computers to do that better. And then there's uh, the field of machine learning, which is a subcategory of artificial intelligence, which 99% of AI uses, which is basically finding patterns in data to make decisions. AI can be broken into two categories, general AI and narrow AI, big AI, little AI. What I talk about is scary AI and, uh, and cute, valuable AI. Ojo is 100% centered in the field of narrow AI. We use machine learning to make decisions uh, on different specific processes. What, how should I show a consumer? What should uh, Ojo say to a consumer? When should Ojo say something to a consumer? All that is narrow AI. General AI is Terminator, Hal, Her, and, and all of the things that people perceive. The, the real progress in the field 
90% of it is in narrow AI, but the perception of it is mostly in general AI. And so the disconnect is really in that world. Um, if you think about narrow AI, narrow AI is akin, in my opinion, to the cloud. It is a technical advancement that is going to permeate everywhere and just become like, yeah, of course, that's the way we do it. And consumers will not have that much care or perception for it. It'll just be an advancement in how a computer makes a decision. General AI is a much more complicated, and there's definitely regulations and, and cultural things that need to be considered in narrow AI, but in general AI, it is, is a lot less of a, um, you know, a, uh, a, an easy decision. Like if we're talking about real machines that make autonomous decisions uh, and more in the Terminator world, that's a lot more complex and societal impacts than, than the narrow AI. Okay. I get that. That makes sense. So, um, so very cool. I, I love that. So where do you see Ojo? So obviously you, what I think the easy part for us to understand as a, as real estate professionals and mortgage professionals is, Hey, Ojo, Ojo labs is building technology to automate conversations, right? With the yeah. um, personalized conversations with the consumer to yeah. help, basically help the consumers get further down that process before That's the right. human or the agent or the lender, whoever that is, steps in and, and sort of takes over. Um, that's right. So I'm assuming that's sort of phase one. What what, yeah. what do you think is possible? And obviously I'm not asking you to reveal any secrets here, but yeah, no. um, you know, what's possible for the next step of Ojo and, and what you guys think you can do for, uh, for the industry and most importantly for the consumers? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you said it and, and to repeat, I, I think the, um, one thing to know of like, you, you asked like, why, why Ojo, why did you choose this vertical? One thing that really impacts real estate agents that Ojo solves and why we are welcomed and, and like this awesome partnership between us and, and the awesome existing kind of uh, incumbents in the industry is you walk into a clothing store and a salesperson says, may I help you? You say no. 30 seconds later, you say, where's the pants section, right? Yep. Car lot, you want to go buy the Tesla or the Ford, salesperson wants to talk to you immediately. You say no. In a couple months of online research and talking to friends, you go to the car lot and you say, I want to test drive the Tesla. In the house, it's a year before you say yes to the real estate agent to go see a home, right? What do you do? You're on Zillow, you're on realtor.com, you're on all these websites. Um, and the reason is the same no matter what you're trying to buy. You either have empathy and you don't want to bother a salesperson or you, before you consider yourself ready to buy, you don't want to be sold. The bigger the purchase, the longer the consumer considers themselves ready to buy, right? And so what that happens in real estate is this huge disconnect between a consumer building all of this research and all of these preferences uh, alone by themselves in the digital world. And then they start over with a real estate agent who basically has to spend the first two weeks reworking this person's brain and perception because they're so miseducated on what's going on and they've built preferences over a long time. We solve that by extending something that you know is never going to sell you. You don't think Siri or Alexa are going to sell you, right? And you have no problem asking a specific question about a property or a neighborhood or some silly question at 3 a.m. You do your friend who's a real estate agent. You don't want to bother them unless you're ready to buy. By extending technology into that middle area, we can bridge the gap 
between that misinformation that consumers get on their own and the real expertise and handholding that we have. And so that is the space that we lean into, extend the product before they're ready to talk to humans, and then connect in a really seamless way the right service professional, real estate agent, loan officer to serve that consumer. Let me let me break this yeah. down kind of in, yeah. in real estate agent terms because yeah. um, you know I, I knew that and yet I hadn't th- thought about it like this before. One of the things that I've I've had a lot of success with in my real estate business over the last, um, especially over the last like six seven years. Is in, um, I'm gonna, for, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the term internet leads, right? Leads yeah. that are generated online. They're, they're basically registrations into a website. Now, if I ask, you know, say 100 real estate agents how they like XYZ's company's leads, most 95% or more of them will say they suck. And then there's like three or four of us who are like, awesome. I love them. And I think for me, I'll never forget. It was the end of 2012 where I realized that the way I could win with really all business, but really what I discovered as the internet leads is really where it helped me stand out was by never stopping the follow-up and never stopping the opportunity to get in front of the consumer and ask if I could help them uh, in, in not taking it personally and being willing to call or text or email, you know, 30 times over the course of a year or two and really work with these people. And what I, what I just heard you say is um, that's effectively in a much better way um, yeah, what, you, what you guys are doing. The best lead source, right? Name your favorite portal, your favorite real estate website. The vast majority of those consumers are not ready to go see homes. They're asking a specific question. And it's really hard as an individual real estate agent, even a team, to serve the 95% of people that are not going to buy a home in the next three months effectively while, while chasing down the person that is, right? What, what do you have to do? 100 leads come in from whatever favorite lead source you have. Best case scenario, the metrics are like two to 3% of those people are buying a home with you. Yep. You're throwing out 97% of consumers. And these are not people that are not going to buy homes. They're just not going to buy homes in the next three months. Yes. Our process is extend this technology that makes you look good and is consumer centric, which every great real estate agent on earth, that's what they are, right? They want to serve the consumer. And we will do the heavy lifting of identifying that person that Actually, right now, they just sold their company. They're going to buy a house. Technology should not be in that person's way. We need to get them to a great realtor that's going to go close that home, right? But the vast majority don't fall in that bucket. And that is what we do is engage that person and serve them in a way that a human cannot scale to do. Always watching and listening uh, while adding value of when the right time is. Like technology is a step out of the way. We need a real human to come help. Uh, so you're, you're spot on. It's basically, I say all the time, uh, I've built the most expensive refrigerator magnet the, the real estate uh, industry has ever seen, right? Like that's what we did with refrigerator magnets. We put them on the consumer's fridge so that sometime in the next seven years when they say it's time to move, they're going to see our face that's been there and the flowers on the desk and the, and the, and the market report. I just spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars building one that's going to engage and have a conversation with them continuously. But the goal is the same. Be present, adding value um, so that when it's time to transact, we can, we can, we can, we can be there to serve them as, as service professionals. That's awesome. And that, that is the most beautiful explanation I've ever heard of a, of a real estate technology. So thank you for doing that. Um, <laughs> Okay, cool. So I, I know we're, we're, we're not quite on time, but we're coming up yeah. there. And I had a few other things I, I wanted to get to. Um, you know, I heard, you, I heard you talk about 
uh, a few different things in some other interviews and some of the, just kind of some research I've been doing. Uh, yeah. And obviously, we, we've got some mutual friends. So I've, I've done my homework. Um, yeah. You know, we you've now scaled. I, I realize you're in the scaling phase, most likely of yeah. of this business. But you've scaled. I'm going to say two. You know, two large businesses now. You also advise others because you know being on the yeah. board of of other businesses. Um, I've heard you talk about kind of a entrepreneurs having a lack of desire some point and that, and that's why they scale. Why, why does that happen? Is that, and is that like a, just a natural human behavior? Is that, do people feel burnt out? Do they get scorned from experiences? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think I look, I mean, generalizing entrepreneurs is like generalizing any other group of people, usually a bad idea. I think it's like operating a company is very hard um, and and you and you better have a good reason for doing it some people do it for wealth creation some do it to find a, a purpose in this world others do it to do good in the world others do it because they love it um, no matter what reason you do it uh, it is really hard like there is no building companies of any real scale, that is easy. The, 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 the most successful companies out there are hard. The smallest companies out there are hard. That is actually one thing that I learned really early days. Building Ojo, which is a multi-city international company, 350 employees, is just about as hard as it was building a small New Haven, Connecticut real estate uh, construction company. I just generally want to be playing at a bigger scale if I'm going to be doing really hard stuff. Um, but I think, I think what you end up seeing is that people stare at their business and look around them and say, this is really hard. And then they weigh the risk of staying in it alone with, uh, with, with joining another team or getting out entirely. And, and I think um, that's, I, I certainly don't say in a judgmental way, but I think a lot of people say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to join another team or I'm going to get off this train. Um, we came in saying we we're going to do this big. And, and that doesn't mean that like, I'll never join another team. I just, I am mission driven, not outcome driven. We are trying to do something significant that we are wildly proud of that every human being in this company is proud of. And, and that is going to be changing the real estate experience for consumers in a very positive way well, enabling and making more money and more success for the, for the families and the service professionals that have been serving them for a long time. And, and, and that, that, that drives us forward, right? And so it's not a desire to like, okay, now's the time to go sell the company. I think others come because it's like, I grew up poor or I want to be rich and I want to, I want to, this is, this is my PhD for me. I want to have my exit. And that is, there is no fault in that. I think the only thing an entrepreneur needs to be clear on is like, what is your North star and why are you doing it? Cause that's going to be the time to determine, should I sell this thing? Should I partner? Or should I not? Yeah. You guys, that's man. That is so, I just want to relate that back for, for our listeners who are real estate agents who maybe have started a team or thought about starting a team or, or, or just growing their team beyond what it currently is. And the first thing we all, my business partner, Fred and I always talk about is first of all, why? Why are you starting a team? Like you've yeah. got to be really clear on that. And uh, that's something I just, I just took away from, from what you just said there. And, and so, you know, it's, it's really is the same. I, I like what you said, you know, you just decided you wanted to do something bigger, but the problems are the same, whether you've got something the size of Ojo or construction co company in Connecticut. Yeah. So that, um, 
that's that's really great insight. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, of course. All right, so here's kind of like the fun the fun part of the uh, the podcast where yeah, uh, and I've totally ripped this off from another uh, now Austin uh, Austin fellow uh, Tim Ferriss where he started asking oh, yeah. his guests. Um, Tell me something, number one, you're excited about. Number two, something you've changed your mind on in the last year or two. And then number three, something maybe that's weird or odd about you that you know could be like a habit or a hobby, something that most people don't know. But we can start with either one, something you're really excited about, something you've uh, changed your mind on in the last year or two or a couple of years, and something maybe a little, little out there that most people don't know that's, that could be uh, in a loving way weird, if you will. um yeah let me let me let me think on this so um what am i excited about i mean um i have a i have a uh i'm married up so i got a wife that is way cooler smarter better than me so that's always pretty exciting every day and i got four just incredibly amazing sons and so like in in the in the whole universe of john berkowitz like there's there's nothing that could that that could be happening at Ojo that kind of gets me more excited than what happens uh, uh, before and after Ojo every day. Uh, in the business world, um, I'm we are just massively fortunate here at Ojo, where you have the most capable, intelligent, decorated team with zero egos I have ever seen in my professional career. You have people that have two away from Jeff Bezos, managed hundreds of thousands of agents, worked at walmart.com, you know, sold companies for three and a half billion dollars, entrepreneurs that, that have built and sold huge companies, technical people who've built the largest technologies on earth. You have this wild team, but when you walk inside of Ojo, there is zero ego and you have no idea if somebody came out of college yesterday afternoon or was one of the top executives in the world. Like it just, it disappears. And the humility of that team combined with the chip on everybody's shoulder that we have the right timing and the right opportunity to do something bigger than any of us have ever done, whether it was college or launch a multinational public traded company um, is really exciting for me. And I, and I just see team, raw materials and early bets playing out in a way that it's, you know, it's, I couldn't be more fortunate. It's mostly luck, but I'm sitting here staring at it being like, Oh my, this is starting to catch fire in all the right ways. And I'm kind of like starting to grab the reins saying, I'm going to ride, I'm going to ride this thing. And so the next couple of years of this company are going to be incredible. It's invigorating. We came out of like the, the, you know, the navigating what you're going to do and who you're going to rely on and the reins are in ours. And it's a team that I am certainly the least intelligent person in the room. Um, and, it, and it's just, that's just exciting. Like, that's what I live for. That's what gets me going. We're really starting to solve real problems. I'm not at a point yet where I say to my mom, like, God, you bought a home and Ojo wasn't a part of it. But we're within 12 months of that piece where like, we really build something that people trust um, and add significant value in a way that can't be replicated. And so I haven't always felt that way. I've, I've been excited about the intelligence and excited about the opportunity, but I've never been like, we are here. We have it now. Like I am right now. That's awesome. Uh, and you can hear it. Like if you go back yeah. and watch my podcasts every year, right? Like I, I talk about the raw materials. I talk about the journey, but now I'm like, it's clicked into place. That's just to be clear. 
as scary as it is exciting, but that's where I'm most excited. Um, awesome. Question two, where have I changed my mind? So I am, uh, I change my mind. I am really hard headed, but I change my mind a lot. Um, I think like the most significant one where something changed, um, and I actually just wrote, wrote a blog on this, but, um, Company values is, is something we did really well at Yodel, something my co-founder uh, at Ojo did in his company, which we merged together, Profit Fuel. Company values is the underpinning of a company, and it is not what exists on a coffee cup or a wall, but really like the fabric of the organization. We have done that right, and we are religious about it. Um, and, I, and I know it to be a core reason that we have been so successful in our past and why we're on such a trajectory now. Um, we have this new brilliant team assembling and, and we, and there was one value that when I, I, every single person that comes to this company, I meet with and I give an overview of why we're here and what we're doing. And, and one value just really didn't resonate. I would say it and I would basically say the value is be fearless. We are trying to do something no one else has ever done before. It is hard and the odds are against us. And so I was trying to encourage people to, to not you know, be scared. And it was basically be fearless, never fail any way but forward. But when I would say it, in the back of my head, I wasn't really feeling it. Because I'll be completely transparent. I am re religiously scared of, I've, you've heard how big the opportunity is. You've heard this unique assets we have. I am really scared of the responsibility as CEO of that. I'm also scared that the promise and vision of this company is to help people make decisions on something that they do once every five to 10 years, and they're going to spend most of their wealth and life living with, right? Like that's a big responsibility. You don't want to mess that up. And so the, the amount of lives that are dependent on this company as employees and families, uh, the amount of lives that are dependent on the products, it really honestly scares the life out of me. I harness that for good. And so I, I just changed my mind on, you know what? Stop. It's actually okay. Change the value and say, it's okay to be scared. Do not let it hold you back, but embrace it. Let it charge you up. Um, and, and then we flipped it to, to a value of earned trust, which is the thing that I see that doesn't exist today is a consumer saying, I trust that product or company. This isn't, I like Nike and it's something cool. It's, I trust it. They're going to do good. And that is what the future of business is going to be. And that's what our North Star is. And so we, we change values, uh, which is, it sounds tactical, but I would say it's like one of the most strategic, challenging and, and opportunities that you can do as a business. Um, and to really like, think about that. So every new hire class for the last nearly five years, I have pitched Be Fearless. And the most recent new hire class was the first one that heard me pitch something different. Like that's, that's a wiring that really needed to change um, is the most significant. But I also change my mind on all types of things all the time. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate yeah. it. Cool. cool. And so, and, and then the, the light, the lighthearted one, tell me something a little weird yeah. about, about you, John, that maybe most people don't know habit, hobby, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's two two quirky ones. Um, I have a, 
a, a cold shower routine, which you, you mentioned Tim Ferriss. I'm pretty sure like every entrepreneur has this at this point, but I will tell you like it's quirky cause it's still cold. Um, every single day. I love cold showers. Um, I, uh, I, it would be people that know me every day would be weird if I didn't say it, which is currently since, um, since May last year. So, you know, we're, we're coming up on nearly a year. Um, I've been off sugar and like the main staple of my diet morning, afternoon and night is almonds. I, I like to say that unless someone identifies a religious group that, that mainly consumes almonds for religious reasons that I've eaten more almonds in the last year than 99.9% .9 of human beings on earth. I eat like a jar of almond butter, pounds and pounds of almonds, almond bread, almond flour, almond milk. I'm like single-handedly increasing the market for almonds. Um, Long-term uh, uh, thing that has been quirky about me is as much as I love old-school hip-hop, when I'm alone in the car uh, blasting love songs, Delilah, uh, she really gets me going. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I can't, like, tell you what love songs I like because I need it to be serendipitous. I need it to, like, come on the radio. Yeah. I can't select it. Can't be Spotify. It's got to be magic. And so, like... I do worry about like machine learning impacting radio uh, deep into the future for me because I do need once in a blue a little a little love kind of motivational music for me to serendipitously pop up on the radio. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that one that one is one I don't think I've ever publicly shared except for in high school. My friends would always make fun of me because you know like you turn on my car and like Delilah's blasting and like you know. Right before that, it was Biggie Smalls. Like we should, we should let him keep going. But my friends would always rip into me for it. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. That that's a really good one, man. That's, that might be the best answer I've heard so far uh, for that question. So, well, hey, man, I I appreciate you taking the time out today, John. Um, something I I just want to acknowledge you for personally is um, you and I were introduced from a mutual friend, and uh, at a time when I kind of need some help looking for um, the future of my personal business and you were, you were more than happy to, to jump in right away and help me out. And, you know, you, you've made introductions, you, you counseled me on a few things. And so I just wanted to say thanks very much, man. I appreciate not, not just what you're doing for the industry, but uh, it's clear to me that you, you're into helping people as well uh, on the individual basis. And, and to me, that's, that's really cool. So I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, and, and look, you're a rock star. You, you do the same thing. And I think that we just, we have a responsibility, you, me, and, and every other uh, person trying to create value in the industry is seek out the other good human beings whose North Star is creating value and enable them, right? Like that's yeah. pay it forward. It's what we got to keep doing. It's what you do all the time. You spend most of your time trying to help other people. That's how I am. Find those other people because you get exponential value. If we, if we, you know, there's definitely a rising tide here. You know, there, there's a lot of wrong things about this industry, but the right thing is there is a ton of really good human beings that want to create value. And if we help each other, uh, we're, we're going to change the world in a pretty positive way. Totally agree, man. So John, let me ask you this question. Um, you know, we've got a mutual friend, we've a couple mutual friends, actually. Um, one of them that works there, you got the former CEO of Keller Williams, Chris Heller, who's your chief yeah. real estate officer. Um, you know, you guys, and you, you've got some background there with Keller Williams. Tell, tell me about that. Cause you guys had a deal with them at one point you were going to be kind of, uh, exclusively working with them. And then that went away. Um, yeah. what with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, in, in early 2016, um, 
I pitched this crazy idea of let's, uh, let's um, build a digital assistant for the residential real estate space um, that helps real estate agents be more successful and, um, and, uh, and, and helps consumers, uh, go through the process. And, um, most people at KW at the time thought it was crazy. AI is not going to catch on, blah, blah, blah. Chris Heller heard the pitch and immediately said, this is going to transform all of real estate and is going to be the trend. If one person has a track record of predicting what is going to happen in real estate, it is Chris Heller. Everybody is wrong if you want 100% accuracy. I have not seen more predictions come true than Chris. But he very quickly um, identified me and my very small team, we're gonna go do something special. And so he brought us into KW um, and, and we, uh, we then went to Family Reunion 2016 and presented the early makings of Ojo, uh, which KW agents went wild for. Um, you know, that was the, the idea of, of Kelly, which was named you know, at, the, at the very last minute. Um, it had a different name. Uh, that idea came out of Ojo. Like we, had, we had all of it, the early mock-ups, the idea we were excited about this deep partnership and Keller Williams agents were awesome. Um, and we had, we were all marching down a path um, and we built real trust with the executive team of Keller Williams. We were going to deploy this agent, this, this product to, to all Keller Williams agents. Um, you know, obviously launching those events is, is challenging. There was, you know, disconnects in communication that they had, but all in all, like, we were phenomenal. It was like quotes afterwards was the most successful technology unveiling they'd ever seen. Um, unfortunately, uh, Keller Williams is a privately held company and uh, family owned business and family owned businesses. You will oftentimes see deep lack of trust at the top and, and uh, wars for power and totally outside of us. Um, uh, that was happening. And, and unbeknownst to us, we, we bet, Keller Williams is the best company with the best agents in the world that we should bring this technology to. Separate from us, there was a political war being fought. Um, some people marching forward trying to bring technology to the world and others worried about their job. Um, and I, and that, that chaos that then came out with the whole exec team leaving and CEOs leaving, you know, was the result of, of, uh, uh, of us then moving on and saying, we got to find a better partner. I'm super happy we landed in the way we did and we found awesome partners that didn't play politics and wanted to solve problems. Um, massively disappointed that, uh, that it didn't, um, work out while Chris was at the helm, but I, you know, it worked out in the end because Chris ended up joining me here to do it, but you know, we're, we're just marching on the vision we had all along and there's a lot of people chasing it now, I think over there, but, uh, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty exciting time. Honestly, what you have there, it's a sad situation and eventually it will, it will resolve. Um, you kind of have an emperor has no clothes and nobody's telling him wants to be a tech company. He does not have real technologists. I think you're starting to see that crack in the seams. Like building technology is really hard. You cannot go and say, and we had this playbook, right? You can't go out and say, I'm going to build 
everything for everybody when you have 180,000 real estate agents. That is the surest way, no matter how much money, even if you really were gonna put a billion dollars into it, you cannot actually do that. And every person who's built real at scale technology knows that. You need to say, I'm gonna go peel off one part of value and I'm gonna deliver that and I'm gonna to try to build on that. And we actually had good expectations to roll out this technology in the early days, but I think in the, in the camp of selling agents to stay with you versus the intense competition, which is nobody's fault, but you, you gotta make promises, over promises were made, bad technology decisions were made, and a lot of features and ideas of features were promoted over several years and no technology has been built. First is what we've done, which right. has been heads down, no promise, building serious technology with real patents and real differentiation with a fraction of the resources. But if you look at it, you know, orders of magnitude, more progress. Um, and I think that's going to have to come to a head. Luckily, it seems like, you know, I think Gary's the type of guy that will stare at the truth eventually and put a bullet in someone's head and then put someone else at the top of it. That's what history seems to repeat itself <laughs> over and over as an outsider. Yeah, that's um, but it, but it, but it feels, it feels, it feels, you know, it's unfortunate when you look at it. Cause I actually think Chris who, you know, was a victim of the politics. That is a man that doesn't play politics. Everybody that knows him, Keller Williams are out knows he's like one of the best human beings in the industry. He is, Ever, he is yeah. consumer first. He is one of the strongest advocates for agent and he doesn't play politics. Unfortunately in a political war in a family business, you don't play politics. Usually you're the guy that gets the gun to your head and you leave, which we saw. Um, you know, that, that maybe if I could go back to history, I'd be like, hey, bud, maybe you should spend 10% of your time like playing politics a little bit. Um, I think deep down in Gary's heart, he knows that he made the wrong decision because he knew who the guy that he actually trusts and likes. Uh, uh, and I don't even know if Chris would say this, this is a John Berkowitz statement, but him and Gary had a trust in each other. Um, and Gary made a business decision to choose different sides and, um, and chose the wrong guy. And unfortunately, uh, the, the, I think the, the, the cracks of that decision are starting to break in pretty significant ways. Yeah, I think they're starting to see it. Um, I mean, they've admitted it recently, uh, going so far as to say that, you know, you can't build everything for everybody uh, with all the requests that they have, which is something I said from the very beginning back when they were having, um, I guess they call them labs now, but while I was at KW, we were just constantly asked, what do we want? We'll build, we'll build whatever you want. We'll build whatever you want. And, and you know, a real technology company doesn't operate that way. Yeah. Um, real technology companies have a North Star. They go out, they create it. Uh, the power users, the people that do adopt, they get feedback from them. They adjust, they build, and they move forward one thing at That's a time. Right. It's funny. Gary always said success is sequential, not simultaneous. Yet for yeah. somehow that didn't happen with their with their tech business. And you know they've pivoted a few times now already. And uh, you know, they'll, they'll I think he trusted, he trusted, he trusted the wrong people. And, and, he, and the question is, will he make the hard decision to admit that publicly? Um, you know, I think the other thing is like, one thing I saw, and I should have known it, you know, when we went to that thing in 2016, we got invited on stage, we were center row, 17,000 agents and all the glory. I was like, this is amazing. But outside that wall sat all of the vendors paying for that event. And they were essentially like trashed on stage. Oh, yeah. Gary picked on Brad Inman in the audience. He, he trashed, you know, uh, Dot Loop, who had a huge, like $200,000 booth. And I thought it as like, 
and this is like, this is such a life lesson, right? I'm sitting there being like, wow, that sucks for those guys. How genius are we? We're on the inside of this thing. Seems a little weird that those guys pay all of that money to be out there, but then in here, the CEO of the company is kind of trashing them. Um, obviously now as an outsider, I'm like, ah, it's like the friend that's talking smack about all of your other friends. He's also talking smack about you. <laughs> um, I just like, that was just really dysfunctional. So what you have is you lean on, people that can't build technology, and then you cut off all your partners, no technology on earth builds all the technology in-house and cuts off all of the outside world to help them. That's like the greatest tech companies on earth say, this is the thing that we're great at, and then we're gonna go leverage others to do the rest. And I think, I just, I don't know where it's coming from. It feels like insecurity. It feels like all of the pressure and change in the space has caused some some whipsawing. I think the thing I will say is you know, Gary probably hates me, but like he has a long track record of making great decisions and he's a very smart guy. Um, he'll lean back into his superpowers, which are getting focused on being like the agent advocate. Uh, and, and in this time, like the industry probably needs him more than ever for that. Um, and he'll get, he'll kind of like put this period behind him. That's my strong hypothesis. Um, but they missed, a, they missed a window to actually deliver some real technology value that's not like, you know, getting into the heart of agents' business and, uh, and breaking, right? Like if, like there's, there are smart people that understand the agents' business and if they had been real focused, there would be seamless technology that's easy to use, that doesn't break, that's not buggy um, with agents raving that their business is growing. That promise from what I have seen from the outside uh, and all you got to do is like read an Inman article or Facebook uh, hasn't come to fruition. And I think it's, I think it's unfortunately was driven out of uh, trusting the wrong people and, 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 and insecurity. Um, I agree. Uh, they, they like to tout the, um, the privately owned thing. And the, the fact of the matter is it is a family business and uh, you do get those problems when your family business gets that big. Uh, yeah. it's, it's sad. Um, but I, I think I would agree with you. I think you're right. He'll figure it out. Uh, he'll eventually make right. And, and hopefully for the industry's sake, that'll be sooner rather than later. And look, and you, and you said it, um, you've said it before, you know, it was the Babe Ruth trade, you know, yeah. strange, strangely, uh, Keller Williams has red as their color. Ojo has blue. You got Red Sox, red Yankees, blue. I'm a Yankees guy. Sorry. Um, I think the good news is like the curse of getting rid of, of Chris is only going to last Gary for like 84 more years. And, and at some point, like there's, you know, his son or somebody else um, will be able to like get him back on top for that world series. But yeah, like the, the curse, uh, I think your analogy of the Babe Ruth trade certainly uh, seems to be resonating right now as, as, some of these things unfold. Um, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to be on the winning team for a little while. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I, th- I think you did pretty good, and I I know Chris well. Uh, he did pretty good. He's happy to be where he's at too. He he, I truly loves what he does and loves the mission of your company and what you guys are doing. And uh, just so you know, behind your back, he can't say enough good things about what. Uh, first of all, about you individually, but just the company too as a whole. So um, I think you guys got a good match there, and I, it's no wonder you got so many exciting things going on. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, we, we're fortunate. Um, I love working with smart people with good hearts that want to do good in the world. And when you put a bunch of people like that without insecurity, without ego, without agenda, and you let truth and trust be the center of that, you can build some real special things. So we're yeah. having a blast doing it. 
nailed it. Well, hey, thank you very much. Any last uh, parting words, anything what we should do? So for those of us who haven't checked out Ojo Labs yet, what's the best way for an agent, uh, a lender, or just anybody who's interested yeah. in learning more about what you guys are doing? What's the best way for OJ, them to learn? OJO.com. OJO.com, uh, best way. Uh, we're, we're, we have not been in the tell the world what we're doing phase, but we're moving into it quickly. Uh, so you should be able to get into the product, learn, contact us. Um, I'm always available at john at ojo.com. Um, uh, and uh, we make ourselves pretty accessible. And I think you're going to be seeing, seeing a lot more of us. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks a, thanks a ton. I appreciate it. Next Level Podcast listeners, thanks for uh, joining us today. I, I know you got a lot out of this call and, uh, or this conversation, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. Really appreciate you and everything you're doing. Thank you, John. I appreciate it, man. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Do me a favor if you enjoy this. Go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening at. Leave us a review. Share this episode with your friends. And for more great content, check us out in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash next level agents. That's facebook.com forward slash groups next level agents. See you soon.